Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineos Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Second half of Chapter 87, Hedonic Awareness. Harry. She was leaning a bit away from him now, though she didn't realize it. If there's a copy of Draco Malfoy in your head, does that mean you're friends with Draco Malfoy? Well... (sighs) Yeah, I've been meaning to talk with you about this anyway. I kind of wish I'd talked to you sooner. Anyway, how can I put this? I was corrupting him? What do you mean, corrupting? Tempting him to the light side of the Force. Her mouth just stayed open. You know, like the Emperor and Darth Vader, only in reverse. Draco Malfoy. Harry, do you have any idea? Yes. The sort of things that Malfoy has been saying about me? What he said he'd do to me as soon as he got the chance? I don't know what he told to you, but Daphne Greengrass told me what Malfoy says when he's in Slytherin. It's unspeakable, Harry. It's unspeakable in the completely literal sense that I can't say it out loud. When was this? At the start of the year? Did Daphne say when this was? No, because it doesn't matter when, Harry. Anyone who said things like Malfoy said, they can't be a good person. It doesn't matter what you tempted him to. He's still a rotten person. Because no matter what, a good person would never. You're wrong, Harry said, looking her straight in the eyes. I can guess what Draco threatened to do to you, because the second time I met him, he talked about doing it to a ten-year-old girl. But don't you see? On the day Draco Malfoy arrived in Hogwarts, he'd spent his whole previous life being raised by Death Eaters. It would have required a supernatural intervention for him to have your morality given his environment. Hermione was shaking her head violently. No, Harry. Nobody has to tell you that hurting people is wrong. It's not something you don't do because the teacher says it's not allowed. It's something you don't do because you can see when people are hurting. Don't you know that, Harry? That's that's not a rule that people follow like the rules for algebra. If you can't see it, if you can't feel it here... Her hand slapped down over the center of her chest. Not quite where her heart was located, but that didn't matter because it was all really in the brain anyway. Then you just don't have it. The thought came to her, then, that Harry might not have it. There's history books you haven't read. There's books you haven't read yet, Hermione, and they might give you a sense of perspective. A few centuries earlier, I think it was definitely still around in the 17th century, it was a popular village entertainment to take a wicker basket or a bundle with a dozen live cats in it and... Stop. ...roast it over a bonfire. Just a regular celebration. Good, clean fun. And I'll give them this, it was cleaner fun than burning women they thought were witches. Because the way people are built, Hermione, the way people are built to feel inside... Harry put a hand over his own heart in the anatomically correct position, then paused and moved his hand up to point toward his head at around the ear level. Is that they hurt when they see their friends hurting. Someone inside their circle of concern, a member of their own tribe. That feeling has an off switch. An off switch labeled enemy, or foreigner, or sometimes just stranger. That's how people are if they don't learn otherwise. 
So, no, it does not indicate that Draco Malfoy was inhuman or even unusually evil if he grew up believing that it was fun to hurt his enemies. If you believe that, if you can believe that, then you're evil. People are always responsible for what they do. It doesn't matter what anyone tells you to do, you're the one who does it. Everyone knows that. No, they don't! You grew up in a post-World War II society where... I was only following orders, is something everyone knows the bad guy said. In the 15th century, they would have called it honorable fealty. Do you think you're, you're just genetically better than everyone who lived back then? Like if you'd been transported back to 15th century London as a baby, you'd realize all on your own that burning cats was wrong? Witch burning was wrong? Slavery was wrong? That every sentient being ought to be in your circle of concern? Do you think you'd finish realizing all that by the first day you got to Hogwarts? Nobody ever told Draco he was personally responsible for becoming more ethical than the society he grew up in. And despite that, it only took him four months to get to the point where he'd grab a muggle-born falling off a building. Harry's eyes were as fierce as she'd ever seen them. I'm not finished corrupting Draco Malfoy, but I think he's done pretty well so far. The problem with having such a good memory was that she did remember. She remembered Draco Malfoy grabbing her wrist, so hard she'd had a bruise afterward while she was falling off the roof of Hogwarts. She remembered Draco Malfoy helping her up after that mysterious tripping jinx had sent her stumbling into the Slytherin Quidditch captain's plate of food. And she remembered, it was, in fact, the reason she'd brought up the topic in the first place, how she'd felt when she'd heard Draco Malfoy's testimony under Veritaserum. Why didn't you tell me any of this? If I'd known... It wasn't my secret to tell you. Draco's the one who would have been at risk if his father had found out. I'm not stupid, Mr. Potter. What's the real reason you didn't tell me? And what were you actually doing with Mr. Malfoy? Ah, well... Harry broke eye contact with her and looked down at the library table. Draco Malfoy told the Aurors under Veritaserum that he wanted to know if he could beat me, so he challenged me to a duel to test it empirically. Those were his exact words, according to the transcript. Right. Still not meeting her eyes. Hermione Granger. Of course she'll remember the exact wording. It doesn't matter if she's chained to her chair, on trial for murder in front of the entire Wizengamot. What were you really doing with Draco Malfoy? Harry winced. Probably not quite what you're thinking, but... The horror scaled and scaled within her and finally broke loose. You were doing science with him? Well... You were doing science with him? You are supposed to be doing science with me! It wasn't like that! It's not like I was doing real science with him! I was just, you know, teaching him some harmless bits of muggle science, like elementary physics with algebra and so on. It's not like I was doing original magical research with him, the way I was with you. And I suppose you didn't tell him about me either? Um, of course not. I've been doing science with him since October, and he wasn't exactly ready to hear about you then. The inexpressible sense of betrayal inside her was welling and welling, taking over everything, 
her rising voice, her glaring eyes, her nose that she was certain was starting to run, the burning in her throat. She shoved herself up from the table and took a step back, the better to look down on her betrayer, and her voice was very nearly screeching as she yelled, That is not okay! You can't do science with two people at once! Uh... I mean, you can't do science with two different people and not tell them about each other. Uh, I did think of that, and I was very careful not to get your research mixed together with anything I did with him. You were being careful. She would have hissed it if it had contained any S's. Harry raised a hand and rubbed at his messy hair, and somehow that made her want to scream at him even more. Miss Granger, I think this conversation has become metaphorical on a level that's, um... What? She screeched at him at the top of her lungs inside their quieting barrier. Then she realized and got so red that if she'd had an adult level of magical power, her hair would have spontaneously caught on fire. The lone other patron in the library, the Ravenclaw boy sitting in the far opposite corner, was staring wide-eyed at both of them, while making a rather sad attempt to conceal it by holding up a book just below his face. (sighs) Right. So, keeping firmly in mind that it was just a bad metaphor, and that real scientists collaborate with each other all the time, I don't think that I was cheating. Scientists often keep quiet about projects they're working on. You and I are doing research that we're keeping secret, and there were reasons not to tell Draco Malfoy in particular. He wouldn't have stayed around me at all in the beginning if he'd known I was your friend and not your rival. And Draco would have been the one at risk if I'd told anyone else about him. Is that really all? Really, Harry? You didn't want both of us to feel special, like we were the only ones you wanted to be with, and the only ones who got to be with you? That was not why I... Harry paused. Harry looked at her. All the blood was rushing back into her face. There probably should have been steam coming out of her ears, which in turn should have been melting off her head with the liquid flesh running down into her neck, as she realized what she'd just blurted out. Harry was staring at her in dawning and complete terror. Well, it's... No, I don't know, Harry. Is it just a metaphor? When a boy spends a hundred thousand galleons to save a girl from certain doom, she's entitled to wonder, don't you think? It's like being bought flowers, only you see rather more so. Harry shoved himself up from the table and took a staggering step back, even as he brought up his arms to wave frantically. That's not why I did it! I did it because we're friends! Just friends? Harry Potter's breathing was starting to scale up toward hyperventilation. Very good friends! Extra special friends, even! Best friends forever, possibly! But not that kind of friends! Is it really that awful to think about? I mean, I'm not saying I'm in love with you, but... Oh, you're not! Thank goodness! Harry brought up the sleeve of his robe and wiped across his forehead. Look, Hermione... Please don't misunderstand. I'm sure you're a wonderful person. She took a staggering step back. But even with my dark side... Is that what this is about? But I... I wouldn't... No, no, I mean, I have a mysterious dark side and probably other weird magic stuff going on, 
You know I'm not a normal child. Not really. It's okay to not be normal. She said, feeling increasingly desperate and confused. I'm okay with it. But even with all that weird magical stuff letting me be more adult than I should be, I haven't gone through puberty yet, and there's no hormones in my bloodstream, and my brain is physically incapable of falling in love with anyone. So I'm not in love with you. I couldn't possibly be in love with you. For all I know at this point, six months from now, my brain is going to wake up and decide to fall in love with Professor Snape. Uh, can I take from this that you have been through puberty? Said Hermione in a high pitched sound. She swayed where she stood, and a moment later, Harry was rushing over to her side and helping lower her to sit on the ground, bracing her body with firm hands. The fact was that she had staggered over to Professor McGonagall's office back in December, not in total surprise because she'd done her reading, but still rather queasily, and it was with great relief that she'd learned that witches had charms to deal with the inconveniences. And what was Harry even doing asking a poor innocent girl a question like that? Look, I'm sorry. I really didn't mean most of that the way it sounded. I'm sure that anyone taking the outside view on the whole situation and offering betting odds on who I finally married would assign a higher probability to you than anyone else I can think of. Her intelligence, which had barely been starting to pull itself together, promptly exploded into sparks and flame. Though not necessarily a probability higher than 50%. I mean, from the outside view, there's a lot of other possibilities, and who I like before I hit puberty probably isn't all that strongly diagnostic of who I'll be with seven years later. I don't want to sound like I'm promising anything. Her throat was making some sort of high-pitched sounds, and she wasn't really listening to exactly what. All her universe had narrowed to Harry's terrible, terrible voice. And besides, I've been reading about evolutionary psychology, and, well, there are all these suggestions that one man and one woman living together happily ever afterward may be more the exception rather than the rule. And in hunter-gatherer tribes, it was more often just staying together for two or three years to raise a child during its most vulnerable stages. And, I mean... Considering how many people end up horribly unhappy in traditional marriages, it seems like it might be the sort of thing that needs some clever reworking, especially if we actually do solve immortality. Tano Wolf, a fifth-year Ravenclaw, slowly stood up from his library desk, from which vantage point he'd just watched Granger flee the library, sobbing. He hadn't been able to hear the argument, but it had clearly been one of those. Slowly, and with his knees trembling, Tano approached the boy who lived, who was staring in the direction of the library doors, still vibrating from the force of how they'd been slammed. Tano didn't particularly want to do this, but Harry Potter had been sorted into Ravenclaw. The boy who lived was, technically, his fellow Ravenclaw. And that meant there was a code. The boy who lived didn't say anything as Tano approached him, but his gaze wasn't friendly. Tano swallowed, laid a hand on Harry Potter's shoulder, and recited, his voice cracking only slightly, Witches? Go figure, huh? Remove your hand before I cast it into the outer darkness! 
the library door slammed open again in the wake of another departure. End Chapter 87 Thank you to the following people. Hermione Granger, Anonymous. Tano Wolf, by Nicholas Gonzalez. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the first half of Sword of Good. Sword of Good.